seat. I wasn't ready. I wasn't done worshiping. Sorry, man. Do you have another one? Got one for the end. <laughs> All right. Uh, morning, everybody. Uh, thanks for being here today. It's great that we can come together and we can uh, just worship our God, that we can spend time together in community, that we can open up God's Word, that we can dig into it. And on a weekend that uh, is a little bit odd, we know, a little bit different, um, probably got a lot of people that maybe aren't here, maybe some new faces. Uh, we don't have, uh, if you've noticed, maybe you came this morning, you noticed we don't we're have Sunday school this morning or nursery or preschool. So let me just tell you, I'll just tell you to all you parents that have your kids in your, you're good, you're fine, all right? And don't worry about it. And everybody who's around small children, don't worry about it, right? So uh, the only time I get worried is, is when adults start crying and throwing things. So um, yeah, uh, if you would, let's go to Matthew uh, chapter 7. We're continuing through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. We have learned some incredible things from Jesus' first powerful sermon that he's been preaching to these people on a hillside about a new way of living, a new way of living into the righteousness of God. Uh, to be claimed as people of God, that Jesus says, this is how people will know that, that you are my followers, that I'm Lord over your life, that I'm your king, is that this is how you live. I thought this morning, uh, if you paid attention to the title of the sermon, you saw the sermon guide, uh, you maybe got a little bit angry, maybe got a little bit antsy. Uh, listen, I, I'm all, I only uh, am calling it gauging the Constitution only for the weekend and piquing your interest. This is not a political message at all. And for some of you, you're really upset because you don't read well and you read Gouging the Constitution. Now you're really angry about it. Uh, uh, but uh, the reason that I, that I wanted uh, just to kind of to set that uh, as the title is today Jesus addresses as he's concluding the Sermon on the Mount. So all of the things that he's taught and he pauses, uh, next week we will finish it. Uh, with talking about uh, how our lives need to be built on a firm foundation on the rock and not on the sand. But as he leads into the end, he said, oh, and I just want you to know kind of one more thing that you need to pay attention to. There are those that will come after me and there are those in the world that are, that are not teaching the right things. False prophets, pseudo prophets. Uh, they're speaking on behalf of God and God hasn't given them a word uh, to speak. So pay attention to it. And so Jesus will say in this text that we're going to read that, so you have to look at the fruit of their lives. You've got to, you've got to gauge their makeup, their, what, what they're made of, their intention. The Constitution, our Constitution here in the U.S. is the makeup of the fundamental principles by which we are governed. And so, so Jesus is saying we've got to inspect really the fundamental principles uh, of those that we're listening to. Do their actions match up with their words and the impact? I thought it'd be great because uh, to use this this weekend, just for as a nation, what we continually face as times change and as culture changes, uh, our original constitution that tells us how we are going to live as a country that was outlined, basic laws for us as citizens, um, has either been lately seen as too much or not enough. And everybody's constantly screaming that it's got to change. We already have 27 amendments, right? to our constitution. People, well, times are changing, so we gotta, we got to change some things. What, what do people say? I don't think that was our founding father's original intent. I don't, and the words there where there's, where is, I don't think. I don't think. Right? So now we live in a world that, that we're constantly 
Uh, everybody's on a side, on one side or the other, about what they think or what they feel, right? In the last couple weeks, with all that's going on in our country, interviews of people, what do you feel about what's happening? Well, how I feel is, it's not about feeling, right? What's the original intent? What's the makeup? Why is it there? What is the foundation that we're supposed to live in? But, but as technology changes in our world, then social media is on the rise. All of a sudden, we got to rethink, well, what does it mean? What does free speech really mean? Right? As evil starts to rise up in the world and, and people are just sinful and they do horrible, horrific, evil things, all of a sudden everybody, you know, whatever side you're on is, well, we got to start talking about what is the right to bear arms? What does that really mean? And so as our culture changes, people think, well, I don't really agree with the foundation anymore. I think it needs to change. And uh, what we're going to get at today, that's the most I'm going to talk about anything political today. Because I, I use that because we've also now drawn that into uh, the church and into our Christian lives. That we read certain passages of Scripture. Well, I feel, right? I, I, don't, know if I, I don't know if I feel like I can, that I agree with this. Culture's changing, right? Times are changing. Is this really... Is this really what we're supposed to follow? Psalm 119, 160 says, The entirety of your word is truth. Regardless of feeling, culture, opinion, popularity, regardless of if you agree with it or not, God's word is truth. Bottom line, solid truth at all times. We don't get to change it. Based on what's happening in our world, we are just called to live into it. Jesus prays for his disciples in John 17, 17 uh, for the future. And, and he says, I pray that you would sanctify them in your truth. It's like this immersion in your truth. And he says, your word is truth. Jesus' prayer for us uh, as his people is that we would live into obedience of Scripture, that we would know who God is by what we read and what He's given to us here, that we would know how we're supposed to interact with others by what He's told us in here. This is, this is our foundation. And so what Jesus is getting at today as He talks about those that are false prophets is you've got to measure what they say up against what you know is, is true. Jesus was actually being accused of the same thing. Well, what he was teaching was making people uncomfortable. Well, that's not what we've heard before. That's not how we've learned it. And you remember, Jesus says right away at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, and I think that he, that he prefaces the Sermon on with the words, uh, I haven't come uh, to, to change the law and the prophets. I've came, come to fulfill them because he, I think he was saying, because I'm about to tell you some things that you've all gotten wrong. Somebody's been teaching you this wrong. You've been living it wrong. Listen, so know that I didn't come to change the Old Testament, really the law and the prophets. I came to fulfill it. I came to show you and to teach you how to live into the entirety of Scripture and that it all applies uh, to your lives. So in today's text, as he's kind of wrapping up this sermon, he brings a little bit of an, an awareness that, that there might be some out there that have some ill uh, intent. Well, how can we tell? How can we tell if... Who we're listening to is, is really speaking truth. And let me tell you, as the guy who has to be up here today talking about, uh, be very careful about who you listen to, there's been a lot of prayer over this, 
message to make sure that what I say is right, because everything that I tell you, you're going to just throw it back at me and measure what I have to say. So I'll just tell you that I'm going to do my best through God's power and what it is that He's revealed to me through His Word uh, that we keep on what Jesus talked about last week, that straight and narrow. So Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, let's stand together and read this for us. These are the words of Jesus. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a diseased tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruit. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Let's pray. Father, uh, we come to you now for uh, just this time that we dig into your word. Uh, Would you just reveal to us what it is that you want us to know? Holy Spirit, uh, we know you are present, but we just want to say it. You're welcome here uh, to do whatever work that you need to do in each and every one of our lives as individuals. And so uh, may this time uh, just be all about you in your name. Amen. You could have a seat. Uh, so so here's, here's how we can, can uh, gauge the makeup of who it is that we are listening to, the voices that we're allowing to speak into our lives to grow us spiritually. The first of it, first just, just needs to start with, we just need to be conscientious citizens. Right? We need to just pay attention. And just like last week, remember we used that first point to just look at the word so, what Jesus was saying with that word. Same thing this week. The very first word that Jesus speaks in our text today is the word beware. Uh, it, and he, in other words, we, we should just pause uh, and stop and really take a look at something. I'm a bit of a, I'm a, you guys know this, I'm a bit of a word nerd. There's just words that I like to, to pick out of these texts that we study and dig a little bit deeper into them. And, and uh, New Testament written in Greek, uh, so Matthew uses this word uh, beware. It's actually the word prosecco. Uh, and uh, it, it's got a kind of a word picture because when we hear the word beware, we see the word beware. I don't know about you, but it instills a little bit of fear in me, right? People put up the signs, beware of dog, right? I don't, I don't just think that, oh, I should, I should pay attention that there's a dog somewhere. Like instantly in my mind, it is, it's Cujo, right? I mean, it's a massive rabid animal that's going to rip my arm off if I, if I cross into their yard, uh, and my neighbors don't even have a dog, but they put it up there to keep me away. Uh, and so, but also we were, we were in, um, in Israel, a group of us from Century, a few years back. And uh, our leader, John Delancey, is also an archaeologist. And so he kind of gets these tips once in a while that he hears about some digs that are taking place. Because they're happening all over the country, all the time. And he got this tip one morning at breakfast that there's a university here in the U.S. that believes that they actually discovered the actual location of Bethsaida. 
Uh, For years, it had been thought to be a a couple miles off of the Sea of Galilee, but Scripture paints this picture that Bethsaida is really on the Sea of Galilee, but no one's ever found it. Well, this group of students happened to think that they had found this, and they had uncovered uh, just a mosaic tile, perfect mosaic tile about six feet down in the dirt. Uh, and, uh, and, and it was just kind of left open. They had to go back home, but it kind of been covered up, and it was way back in the kind of the middle of no man's land. Obviously, nobody had found it for thousands of years. So John gets this tip that, hey, we should go see this. So we, all of us, pile into our giant motor coach bus, and we go off-roading, you know, and we get up to kind of these bushes, and there's a guy there. He's like, yeah, come on in. I'll let you see it. And we go in, and it's pretty cool to look down uh, in, in this pit and see all these colorful mosaic tiles. But as we're walking around, and there was, there's all these, always these mounds of dirt from the digging that had taken place, and, and you're allowed to go through those because they've been gone through. And you can take, like, pottery and things that... That, that's there if you want to. So it, it's just a cool adventure. So we're walking around, but uh, there's a fence that's right along where they're digging. It says, beware of landmines. And, and when I saw that, I wasn't like, huh, huh. And I, I just go trouncing around and doing my own thing. I, I needed to beware. I was actually afraid when I, when I read that. Uh, and and uh, so when we think of beware, we think of get fearful but that's not the intention of Prosecco. The intention is actually a word picture of steering a ship into its port. It's an idea of, okay, you're coming up to something uh, where you're going to get off and you're going to start walking away. That, it's the end you're coming up to. But, so you need to beware that, that underneath the water, the, the water's going to actually get shallower. There will probably be rocks. There might be other ships. And so you just have to pay really close attention. And so what Jesus is saying, hey, pay close attention to the fact that there will be some out there who are speaking falsely uh, on behalf of God or claiming to be. It's not really this idea of freak out, which oftentimes we, we do. Uh, but just pay attention. There are things out there that could harm you. Uh, so you just need to steer clear they are the the word jesus uses pseudo prophets they're false guides make sure that you don't get taken in by them but just be aware that they're out there be conscientious in other words don't bury your head in the sand just thinking that everybody out there's got really good intentions for your life uh just like if you were steering a ship you wouldn't just well we're coming into port and you just well you know god's got me and it just, you know, let the current take you in. Like, no, pay close attention to it. But there are those that want to, as we talked about last week, there are those that want to get you over to the wide path. That, 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 will, that will not keep you on that straight and narrow to the narrow gate. But, but just say, you know what, you're good over here. Be like everybody else. This is what God wants for you. Just be happy. Right? So get on the happy road and walk that. They're false guides. And Jesus compares them uh, to wolves in sheep's clothing. They look like sheep. They're, they'll be hard to determine from far off. And so you got to get, get to know and see what their, what does he say, what the fruit of their lives is. He compares them then to trees. But there are those, Jesus says, are ravenous wolves that, that will destroy you. They'll pull you away from this walk that Christ has for you. Their intentions are are not to lead you closer to God. Their intention is to lead you closer to them. To just be a follower of man. 
Paul gives some clarity to it in Romans 16. He, he appeals to the church. He says, beware of those whose intentions are to cause divisions, to build up obstacles that are contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. They don't serve Jesus by feeding people good fruit, but really they're just feeding their own appetites, fattening us, us up that follow them. Paul says they feed people with their own appetites with smooth talk and flattery, and they deceive the hearts of those that are naive, that don't know any better. So Jesus says, so know better. Just know better. Be aware. They're out there. So pay close attention to it. Well, how do we know? Well, you've got to test the authenticity. Is this really the intention that God has? Does it come from Him? They come to you, Jesus says, these pseudo-prophets. And, and in that, it's, it's a little bit difficult to just kind of nail down exactly what He's talking about because the word prophet in the New Testament was had a wide, wide range of use. It, it ranged everything from philosophers who are speaking a knowledge that you didn't know about uh, from their own wisdom. Uh, it was uh, teachers who were taking what uh, they knew about God's Word and proclaiming it to others. Even used, uh, prophets was even a term used for doctors. That they have a specific knowledge about what's going on in your body that they can take care of. And so th- this, there's a wide range of understanding of prophets. And, and so what we, when we study the entirety of the New Testament, what, what we find is that Jesus is really addressing kind of this mix between those that, that teach from God's Word, that they've received a revelation from the Holy Spirit about what it is that needs to be said, but there were also those that were just going around that were, that were saying, God told me to tell you that you need to do this. What we find as we, again, study the entirety of Scripture, Wayne Grudem, Isle of Points it out, he said, prophecy, regardless of, of how it was understood, was never to be seen as a higher authority than God's Word. So, so if someone would come along and say, God, God, God told me, it, sh- it never, ever, ever will trump the truth of God's Word. It doesn't change. Remember, as we talked about from Psalm 119. But what we do find as we study, again, the entirety of Scripture, for us to understand prophecy today, and false prophets especially, is that... In the Old Testament, there were men that were chosen by God, that God spoke to, and they were given words to give to the people on how they were supposed to live their lives. When we get to the New Testament, we no longer find that. It's, it, had, it had ceased. When we get to the New Testament, what we then find is really what I said. It was a revelation uh, of, of what it is that needs to be taught or told to the people, but it didn't really it didn't come with that divine authority. It was knowledge that was passed on to others that, that, yes, came from the divine. But it wasn't spoken that God told me to tell you to do this. I get very weary. Anybody that ever comes and, uh, and says that to me, God told me that I'm supposed to tell you that you're supposed to do this. good example of New Testament prophecy uh, is found in 1 Corinthians 14.29. 
Paul says, let two or three prophets speak. Then let everybody else weigh what he has said. Can you imagine? Old Testament, Elijah, Moses. God tells Moses, hey, I want you to go and give people these commands on how they're supposed to live. And, and Moses goes on, hey, God gave me this to give to you. Why don't you read these and see if you agree? Why don't you decide if this is good or not, if this is from God? didn't work that way. In the New Testament, Paul says it over and over again. If somebody comes and they have a word to speak to you that's been revealed to them, then gather people together and you decide which, what's, what's right, what it is that you are supposed to do. He says earlier in verse 3, the prophecy exists for upbuilding, encouragement, and the consolation of the believers. Timothy says what? All Scripture is God-breathed, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So a good understanding, really, of, of prophecy is that, is that there's a revelation that comes through the power of the Holy Spirit as we study His Word to be able for it to proclaim it to others. It's not more authoritative than God's Word. Uh, it supplements it. It's a revelation that's given to us by the Holy Spirit. I can tell you, uh, I don't know if you want to hear this from your pastor based on what you've understood up until now, but I can tell you that I, I have never heard the voice of God. Uh, but I can tell you that as I study God's Word and as I pray, as I ask for wisdom, as James says, that wisdom comes to me, uh, that, that it's revealed to me through Scripture of other texts to go to that somebody here needs to hear, uh, that, that as I process through what it is that, that I believe God wants to say to each and every individual on a Sunday morning, uh, that I just have to ask Him, like, just, just give me what it is that you need. And, and He gives me Scripture and weird stories from my life that I've never thought of in years, and th there it is. And, and I get to, sp to speak that uh, out to people. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.20, don't despise prophecy, just test everything and hold fast to what is good. I've, I've mentioned this before, but the way that the Secret Service trains uh, their people to find counterfeit money is that you study uh, the actual dollar bill, $5 bill, $100 bills, uh, $500, whatever. Do they go that high? I'm, I'm a pastor. I don't know. Uh, but that you study the real thing. So kids, if you want right now, like ask dad or mom for, for like a dollar bill right now. And, and you can just take it out and you, just, you study it, you memorize it. Uh, I'm trying to help you out, kids. You didn't have Sunday school today. Uh, and, and then once you, once you know the, 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 the original... Uh, then when you see a counterfeit, they'll know it just automatically, by touch, by feel, just by a, a, a glance. I, I know that that's wrong because I know what the original is. And that's what Paul says. Paul says, take everything that anyone says, that anything that's being taught to you, any word that is being brought to you, and test it up against what God has said in His Word and make sure that it's true for you. So don't despise it. Paul actually says, so seek out the gift. Beg from God that He would reveal to you the things that He wants to reveal to you about what it is that, that you need to know and what you can proclaim to others. But don't despise it. But test everything that's said. And then hold fast to what is good. But Jesus says, here's how you know the wolves that are trying to lead you astray. It's, it's the fruit that comes out of their lives. And in this day and age... 
as we love, I hear people all the time, you know, that, oh, I listen to this sermon online, I got this podcast, and I watch this guy on TV, and I got this video, and we've got Right Now Media that just bombards us with all of these uh, words from God's Word. Uh, how do we judge the fruit? Because we don't, we, don't get to, we don't get to see their lives and how it is that they are living, which is another reason why the local church is so important. You get to actually see the, the life of the people that are leading you and teaching you lived out, whether it's a pastor on a platform, whether it's a Sunday school teacher, a leader in some way, that you get to see the fruit of their lives. Do they actually live out what it is that they preach? At the same time, if, if we don't get to see that, I mean, that's partially the fruit. But, but in reality, the fruit of a teacher is the lives that are changed because of the words that are spoken. And so the trees, again, Jesus in Israel, when we were standing up on, uh, on the side of that mount where Jesus is preaching this message and overlooking the Sea of Galilee, uh, it actually overlooks between us and the Sea of Galilee this giant vineyard. I don't know if that vineyard was fully there back in Jesus' day, uh, but, but it would have been this understanding because they grew in that area that from far off, you can't tell if that's a good tree or a bad tree. You've got to get up close and make sure that there's fruit growing on it. And then you've got to get up even closer and you've got to taste it and find out if the fruit's good or not. You can't tell from far off, so you have to test it. You've got to get up really, really close. And the test of the fruit is when I apply it to my life, does it make me more like Jesus? Or is it like a lot of what we hear today, is it just trying to make you a better version of you? Right? To be the best person that you can be. Does it make you really, really comfortable with the life that you're currently living? Or does it stir in you to want to change to be more and more like Christ? Titus 1.11 says, Look out for those who teach with shameful gain. Hebrews 13.9 says, Don't be led away by diverse and strange teachings that you've never heard before that are not good food that benefit you that's the fruit does this benefit me and and the benefit is it's in the entirety again of the sermon on the mount jesus saying is it grow you into the righteousness of god more and more or or, or is it just more about you and it ends with you and your happiness does it build you up for God or for your own benefit? Because in the end, if it, isn't, if it isn't Jesus, if it isn't gospel truth, if it isn't about Him, if it doesn't end with Him, if it, here's the thing, if, if what you're listening to just ends with you, here's what you need to do, uh, here's who you need to be, if, if it all ends with you, uh, then it's a false teaching. If it ends with Jesus and His work in you, it's true. Because it's about full surrender to Him and what He wants to do in your life. Jesus said in John 7, 18, the one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of Him uh, who sent me is true. There is, in Him there is no falsehood. That's what it comes down to. The fruit is, does it glorify God or does it glorify the person who's doing the speaking? Whether they're on a platform, in a classroom, or just around a table. If what they're proclaiming to you is more about them for their own glory and what they've done for you, 
what God's done for them and, and how they can do great things for you, uh, it's not true. Jesus says if it's about God's glory, then it's true. Inspect the fruit. And then eliminate insufficient words. This uh, kind of ends this, this section. It, it's not uh, a, a, a change in subject. It's just a transition to everybody. That, that Jesus is, is, again, in the entirety, the way is narrow and the way is wide. And you, you want to get your life on the narrow path. The only way you do that is by following Jesus. There are those that will want to take you off the path. But also, there are a lot of people that believe that they're on the narrow path, but are actually on the wide. And he says, there are a lot of you. They say, Lord, Lord, but I don't know you. We don't have a relationship with each other. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father. Many will say, we didn't prophet, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did I not do mighty works for you in your name? And Jesus says, I will declare to them away from me. I never knew you, you workers of lawlessness. He talks about, well, I'll take those trees and we'll throw them into the fire. That's, that's where the fear should come in. Uh, the fear should not be in that there are false teachers out there. The fear should be in is that when, when we're not following Christ and what that end result is going to be. That we're, that we're claiming something that we're not actually living into. Jesus says, you call me Lord, but, but the problem is, is that you've never made me the king over your life. You've never, you've never followed the way of the kingdom. You've never lived under my authority. You've just claimed me, right? Not my president, right? That gets said a lot, no matter who's in office, right? People say, but that's... Well, I claim you, yes, you, you have the title, and I know that you're on the throne, so is that enough? No, it's not enough, Jesus says. You have to live as one of my followers. You have to make me Lord. Your words and your actions together, he said, are not going to be sufficient enough for you when the end comes to get you in right standing with God. It's by making him, allowing him to be Lord over your life, surrendering you're all to him. John 6:40 says, This is the will of God, that everyone who looks upon the Son and believes in him will have eternal life. I, I, I have conversations with a lot of people that are just trying to find out God's will for their life. But they're making it really small. I'm just trying to figure out what God's will is for my career, what God's will is for who I marry, who, what God's will is for where we should live. God says, you want to know what my will is? My will is that you would know my son Jesus, that you would believe in him and that you would live into this life that I've saved you into. And all of the rest of the stuff, that's just all details that I'll take care of. But the big thing that I have in your life is that you are one of my own, that you would understand that my son gave his life up for you and that you would believe in him, truly believe in him, that you would make him Lord, not just through lip service, but actual surrender to him. Belief is not something that's just in the mind. I, I believe, we, we sing the song, I, I believe in God the Father, I believe in Christ the Son. But belief is action. Do we live into what it is that we say that we believe? Do we live as Christ is Lord? Dwelling within us and active in our lives and an outflow of selflessness, doing everything for His glory. 
through our humility and grace, which is, again, throws back to watch out, beware of the false teachers out there that teach you anything other than that, that tell you that you're okay, right? That, that it kind of, this day and age, the world we're living in, I hear so many people that all it's, it, they have one message, and it just stops with, hey, God loves you. And? But, but don't worry about it. God loves you. He'll take care of you. He's, he's got this. Or, or, or we just stop without any explanation. Just remember, you're made in the image of God. Right? Okay. Yes, that is true. But what? It, it's got it's to lead somewhere. We've got to know. People need to be taught that, that without Jesus, we're so lost. So lost. We need him so desperately. We, we cannot be better people by anything that we do. Jesus redeems us from our sinfulness and he gives us new life because of God's great love for us, his mercy and his grace, because he chose to love us, not by anything that we do. And so there's false theology out there as well that, that, that this, these lives that we're living, if we, if we fall into sin every day, that that God's mad at us, that he's, that he's just going to crush us. And he says that's going to happen if, if, if we, as he, as he says, you'll be thrown into the fire if you do not claim Jesus as Lord. But I know that you're a sinner. I know that you're lost. I know that you blow it every day. And I still sent my son to die for you, and he gave up his life for you. So that's my will, that you would understand it, that you would know it, that you would believe it, and that you would make Jesus, Lord, over your life. That's the message that people need to hear. As we move into communion today, it's a great moment to, to just pause and, then, and just to consider our own lives. For us today, does Jesus just get lip service? Have you been living a life that that's just, it's just that? It's, it's just, but Jesus, I, 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 I went to church, right? I, I mean, I... I, I read my Bible as much as I could. Uh, right? You're, you're Lord. Does he just get your lips or have you really fully surrendered and said, you're my king and this is your kingdom. This is your reign. And I submit to everything that you have for me. Does how we live match up with Jesus' life? Does does what we feed off of, what we let affect us and change us, grow us closer to Him, make us more like Him? Or have we just become just more comfortable? I love how Jesus is ending this sermon. You know, you'll, you'll know if what is being taught is true by the fruit of their lives. Does obedience line up with proclamation? And it really comes down to, does, does what we do line up with what it is that Jesus has taught us? He's true, and He's right. And we know that, that Jesus is, is true because you watch His entire life, everything that He did and everything that He taught, and talking about a full surrender, talking about a full trust in God, talking about leaning into Him at all times. And at the end of Jesus' life, the night before he's crucified, he's there in the garden, again among the fruit. And, and, 
And he says, Father, uh, I know this is going to be brutal, right? I mean, he's crying out to God. I, I don't want to go have to go through this to die for the sins of the world. But he says, but not my will. Yours be done. God's will. So that everybody could know that the Son was sent by the Father and could believe in Him so that they could have eternal life, to be rescued from that fire. Jesus preaches selflessness his entire life and in the end is the embodiment of it. We the people need to measure, gauge our makeup, our constitution, our righteousness. Have we been rescued and redeemed? Not have we done good things. Not have we done good things in Jesus' name. But has Jesus been the one at work within us? Rescue us and redeemed us. And what we do in this world is a product of our gratitude for what it is that He's done for us. What's feeding you? Who's feeding you? What's the result? Are you just a better version of you? Or do you look more and more like Christ? That's what He's done for us. Let's pray. Father, this morning we give you praise and we say thank you for who you are. We, we come before you humbled uh, this morning, Father, because we know that, that we don't deserve. We don't deserve your grace and your mercy, but that's exactly what grace and mercy is. Is your compassionate care and love when we don't deserve it. When we deserve nothing but death because... Uh, all of us, Father, before Christ, we're, we're no better than the ravenous wolves. We're just we're out to get our own. And it's that selfishness that Scripture tells us that separates us from You. But You gave us Your Son to draw us back to You. For that we're grateful. And for that reason, the life that You've called us to, we want to stay focused on the good stuff. The stuff that's going to feed us and lead us closer to you, becoming more like you. So give us the wisdom that we need. May we listen to the truth of your word at all times. Amen. So we, Jesus calls us to come together, when we come together, to, uh, to remember what it is that he's done for us. I say this all the time, but if you're like me, I forget a lot of things. I have a lot of things written down for me because I just kind of go on with life and, and I forget. And so often, uh, as Jesus said, we, we stay on the straight and narrow, but it can be so easy to get pulled away with what's going on in the world and we forget that, oh, no, 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 I'm called to live this life for Him, by Him, because of Him. And so Jesus says, so, He knows that. He says, so, so whenever you get together, I want you to remember I want you to remember me. Eat the bread. Remember that my body is broken for you. All that I did for you. Drink of the cup. Remember that my blood was poured out. I, I, I died for you. And then we're, it's really uh, this sending us out then with great joy. That no matter what happens in this world, God's got this. Because he's already proved that he can take care of our greatest need and our greatest problem. And we can trust in him. So Jesus... Uh, on the night that he was betrayed, gathered together with his disciples and they shared in a meal together. And we know that the meal that they shared in was the Passover meal. It's a celebration, a time that God had told his people to get together to remember 
when he rescued them out of Egypt. They were in chains and slavery in Egypt, and God freed them out of nothing that they had done. It's because God chose them, and off they go, and they, they walk through the desert for years, leading them to the promised land that God had for them. And so, so God tells his people, so that you never forget that I'm your God and that I do incredible things for you that you could have never done for yourself. That I'm the God that chose you. Out of everybody in this world, I chose to do something great for you. Then gather together and you eat this meal. And so they would eat this incredible spread on the table that everything that they would eat was a reminder of, of what God had done. And the great thing is that that was about, that was about the past. Remember what I have done. And then Jesus sitting at that table, he says, hey, before we go, guys, uh, just a couple more things. And he then now adds to it. He's now the fulfillment of why God did that in the first place. It was a picture that was painted of there will come a day when I will do this, not just a, a certain people for a certain land, but I'm going to do this for all people, for all of eternity, for the end of time. To give them a new home, I will free them from the chains of slavery that they can't free themselves, but I'll step in and, and, and it won't be a, a sacrificial lamb uh, like at the Passover, but it will be my one and only son. And, and so Jesus takes the bread that night and he says, from now on, whenever you eat this meal, you're going to remember me and what I've done for you. Yes, God did something great, but it was all leading up to me. And every time that we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we can think back to, yes, to how God freed all of those people from their chains, but, uh, but then it was a foretelling of how our chains of slavery, of sin, gone, broken. We're freed from it. We can run. With Thank you so much for tuning into our service today.